Father God, our true and perfect Father on this Father's Day, a Father who gives to His children good things, loving things, a Father who gave Himself up for us, His children, and as we see in this text, made us His bride. Send your Spirit now. Open your eyes. Open our eyes. And open our hearts. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand, to see what this text is says in your name we pray amen as i mentioned before this is the first of three parts relating to christian relationships in this section paul is dealing with husband and wives this is not only the longest of the three but this is also the longest statement in the new testament on the relationship between a husband and a wife often sadly the focus of this text is verse 22 and 24, and the rest of it kind of gets overlooked. It's really too bad that so much gets put on what Paul says to women when really the thrust of this passage is for men. Not only is the thrust of this passage for men, but the actions of the men in this text are the catalyst for a healthy marriage relationship. Paul has, I kind of counted it up yesterday, about 64 words in two commands for women in about 153 words in seven commands for men i can't tell you the number of sermons i've listened to that kind of get this all backwards they spend 30 minutes addressing the wives and five minutes addressing the husbands so i will mainly be talking to the men today but we will start where paul starts which is with the women Verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the church, a head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In this text, he says the same thing twice in reverse order. It's not overly complex. It's not long-winded. It's simple, easy to understand, right? The first commandment. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There it is. Easy as can be, right? (laughs) Of course, what I always say is what's simple on paper is complex in life, right? I could say to you, go build a building. Write it on a piece of paper and hand it to you. Simple on paper, right? Complex in real life. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of this, though, I'm just going to keep walking through the text, all right? So verse 23, for, which is a grounding statement, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. This is the reason wives should submit to their husbands, because he is the head of the wife. Next, Paul says the same thing in reverse. First, the grounding statement Then the command, verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, the ground statement, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands, the command statement. He is making a link between Christ and the husbands and the wife and the church. One command stated twice and one reason stated twice. However, the real question is, what does this look like? How does this play out practically in the lives of a couple? Like I said, easy on paper, complex in life. 
And I'm not going to answer that yet. I'm going to keep going through the text, and I think it will become apparent what that looks like a little later. Now, on to the larger section for the men. We have what I would say is seven different commands for the men and one main theme. The one main theme is this. Husbands, love your wives, right? The seven different commands, as I kind of see them broken out, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Number two, give yourself up for her. Number three, love her as your own body. Number four, nourish her. Five, cherish her. Six, hold fast to her. Seven, love her as yourself. I realize this isn't exact, and some of these could be blended, but the point is he has a lot more to say to the husbands than to the wives. Let's walk through this text, and I'll make some points as to what's here and what's not here, and more importantly, how this looks practically for married couples. Paul gives the ground to submit to your husband. The husband is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. But here, with the husbands, it's a little less logical, logical and a little more practical. He doesn't say, husbands, love your wife, love your wife for Christ loved the church, or because Christ loved the church. It's husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Rather than trying to ground it in reason, he wants men to see it as an example. He doesn't give us the ground and leave us to fill in the blanks. He gives us the example and fills in the blanks for us. Rather than just a why, it's a why and a how. So first the command, husbands, Love your wives. Easy on paper. Then the how. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then he gives three reasons Christ gave himself up for her. First, to sanctify her. Second, to present her to himself in splendor. And third, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, this is where... You kind of don't want to stop reading because it would be confusing if Paul was asking us men to sanctify our wives, to present her to Christ in splendor that she might be holy and without blemish. In this section, he is clearly talking about only what Christ can do for his bride, the church, both men and women. At this point, I want to keep going, but I think it's good for us to stop, take a moment and reflect on this. Christ gave himself up for us to accomplish this for us. What a wonderful thing to pause and ponder. These are real things that really happened to us because of his loving sacrifice at the cross. Sanctified us, cleaning us. He did this by washing of water with the word. Let me read from Ezekiel 16. You can flip there if you want. Um, It's a passage about the Lord making for himself a bride. And it parallels this passage very nicely. She was dead. He brought her to life and in the process of adorning her and making her a bride, right? A people for himself. Ezekiel 16, we're going to start at verse 6. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood live. And I said to you, in your blood live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, and yet you were naked and bare. 
That's sanctification. The process of bringing from death to life. Right? Now we see the process of washing. Verse 8. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. Verse 9. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. So, back to Ephesians 5.27. He did this so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now back to Ezekiel. Verse 10. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth, and covered you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring in your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I bestowed on you, declares the Lord. Does that sound like he's presenting the church, his bride, in splendor? I adorned you with gold and silver. I clothed you with fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. Your beauty was perfected through the splendor that I bestowed on you. Now, Back to Ephesians 5. That she might be holy and without blemish. Holy, set apart. Now this is what's interesting. Because Ezekiel 16 reads the exact opposite here. Not holy, but verse 15. You trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines and on them played the whore. The like has never been nor ever shall be. So in the old covenant, he raised her, washed her, adorned her with splendor, and she played the whore. Now in the new covenant, he raised her, washed her, adorned her with splendor, and made her holy. No more whoring with this bride. The price was paid, and Christ gets what he paid for, namely a bride. Sorry, husbands, you can't do this. <laughs> this was done for you. Now, this kind, this, this kind of love is the kind of love a husband should show his wife. Look at the connecting statement in Ephesians. In the same way. It's a very important connecting statement. It means that although husbands can't accomplish this for their bride, we can act in the same way. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So, as Christ sanctifies the church... In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. As Christ cleansed her by washing of water with the word to present the church in splendor, 
In the same way, husbands, you should nourish your wife as Christ made her holy and without blemish. In the same way, a man should cherish his wife. All of this extends out of verse 25. Christ gave himself up for her. The sanctifying, the washing, the presenting, the being made holy, the love, the nourishing, the cherishing, it all comes from that phrase. He gave himself up for her. What a calling. And men, this is the calling. Give yourself up for your wife. And actually, this entire section of Ephesians about being imitators of God, starting in chapter 5, is based on the exact same phrase. If you look up just a little bit, look at verse 2 in chapter 5. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He finishes this statement with the reminder that we are all recipients of Christ's tender loving care with this simple reminder in verse 30. Because we are all members of his body. Husbands, give yourself up because we are all members of his body. Love, nourish, cherish your wife because we are all members of his body. Now, verse 31. Paul inserts this quote from Genesis 2.24. The text from Genesis is the Old Testament bedrock for the biblical view of marriage. Paul here is concluding this section on how a husband treats his wife like his own body. Not just because the analogy makes sense. It does make sense, right? Nobody, at least nobody in their right mind, treats their own body poorly. If you're in need of food, you get something to eat. When you're thirsty, you get something to drink. If you're tired, you get some sleep. If you're dirty, you take a shower. If you're cold, you get a blanket. And that's, that's not the point. The reason he brings in Genesis is to show that this isn't really an analogy. This is reality. Husbands, treat your wife well, not because it's like treating yourself well. It is treating yourself well. Look at, look at the bigger picture in Genesis for a second. Where did Eve come from? She came from Adam's rib, right? In Genesis 2, verse 22 and 23, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Flesh, She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Then the next verse is verse 24, which is the one in Ephesians. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So you have the man by himself in the garden. God says, all of creation is good. Then God says, it's not good that the man is alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. He takes a whole man makes him less whole, takes the rib out of him, creates the woman out of the rib, and presents, presents, just like the church, presents the woman to the man. She is without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She is holy and without blemish, naked and unashamed. You see the picture between Genesis and Ephesians? And the man made more whole than he was before? The man's rib was taken out of him? and returned, and now the two are one flesh with more beauty and God-glorifying love than Adam could have shown on his own with his extra rib. One flesh made better 
than before. When Paul talks about the husband treating his wife as his own body in Ephesians, it's not an analogy, it's not a word picture, it's reality. It's the rib made into a bride presented to the bridegroom. He continues, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You have Eve presented to Adam, a pure, spotless bride. You have the church made pure and spotless by Christ, presented to Christ, the bride for the bridegroom. It is real beauty when you stop and ponder it. And it's even more amazing for us men, right? Think of your wife, whether you've been married one year or 50, right? Think of what an amazing picture it is of Christ and his bride and the faithfulness. And to think of what a wonderful blessing your wife is. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The two made one. The first Adam made complete again, more than before with his wife. It really takes your breath away. The second Adam making his bride whole for himself. He sums it up in verse 33, after all this crossing between husband and wife, Christ and the church. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I said there was two commands for the woman. This is the second. Respect your husband. So there, we made it through the text, right? Now the practical part. That was the easy on paper part. Now the complex in life part. What does this look like? What does this really look like in the day-to-day aspect of marriage? How do I submit to my husband? How do I love my wife this way? These are good questions, and to be honest with you, I don't have all the answers, especially not in a 40-minute sermon. Relationships are complex, and every single one of them is different. I'm going to give a couple general answers here, but be aware It might be a little bit like eating pasta with a spoon. You get some, but it's not really the full, complete way to do it. Trust me, if there was a simple, straight answer for all the questions that fit all the bill for everything in marriage, that book would be written, and we'd be selling it out there right now. (laughs) First thing I want to talk about is submission and headship. As I mentioned in my intro to this text, it can easily be used as a weapon against women from overbearing men. And we can all see how, right? And I have read a lot of well-meaning authors that kind of get this wrong all the time. Here's some common things I've seen in a lot of material that can be taken out, out of context. The command for women to submit is not contingent on the man, on if the man is a good leader or not. He could be a bad husband, and the command to submit should still be followed. The one is not contingent on the other. Now, that's true. If you look at the text, that's true. But so often, it's left right there. Nothing is ever said about the man's role. Men, your command isn't contingent either. You are the head, and you are either obeying Christ or you're disobeying Christ. You will either be like Christ or not like Christ. But either way, you are the head. Now, if you find that your wife isn't submitting I can guarantee you, a hundred times out of 99, you're not loving her 
and giving yourself up for her. Because if you were, she would be submitting, no doubt in my mind. Men, if you ever find yourself pulling out of your toolbox for marriage, the phrase, I am the head of the household, and it says in Ephesians, you have to submit, that's not love. That's manipulation. Look, nowhere in this text does it give the command to be in charge of your wife. Nowhere does it say, men, exercise your headship. Submission does not equal exploitation or tyranny. You don't need to think for your wife. She is most likely smart enough to think for herself. Three kids and her husband. Right? I know my mom was. (laughs) Submission of a wife does not mean you're in charge. It means you love her. And you give yourself for her. You don't control her. Maybe this will this will help. A little word picture. One of my favorite things to eat is like creamy pasta, right? I love creamy pasta. Asking me to submit to a bowl of creamy pasta would be a loving thing for you to do to me, right? (laughs) It would not be oppressive, and I would not object at all. However, if you came to me with uncooked pasta, cream, cheese, garlic powder, and said, you know, these are all the ingredients you need to make, you submit, right? Start eating them. That would not be a loving thing to do. That would be terrible and oppressive. And I would object. I would not submit. Then you would say, but Ephesians says you must submit. I'm the head of the household. You see the difference love makes? Men, are you serving your wife a delicious meal or are you just giving her the ingredients and telling her to eat? Don't be a bad husband. If you want your wife to submit to you, love her. Wives, this isn't even a commandment to follow if your husband is loving you and giving himself for you. It will just happen if he's doing it right, which is why I think Paul puts so much stress On the men in this passage, as I said before, the action of the men is the catalyst to making this work right. If he isn't doing his part, it makes it really difficult for her to do her part. However, if he is doing his part well, her part comes much easier. And this machine we call marriage functions properly. In 1960, the stage show Camelot debuted on Broadway starring Julie Andrews. One part in the show, King Arthur sings a song called How to Handle a Woman. I'm not going to sing it, but I'll give you the lyrics. It's a short song. How to handle a woman. There's a way, said the wise old man, a way known by every woman since this whole rigmarole began. Do I flatter her? I begged him answer. Do I threaten or cajole or plead? Do I brood or play the gay romancer? Said he, smiling, no, indeed. How to handle a woman? Mark me well, I tell you, sir. The way to handle a woman is to love her. Simply love her, merely love her, love her, love her. There is a lot of biblical truth in that little song, and I would add, love her and give yourself up for her. Now, I want to say three things in closing. One thing to women 
that are in situations that maybe your husband isn't doing his part. Two, I want to say something on how this applies to single people here. And three, I want to say something about to all of us as we get ready for the, as we go to the table. First, how about when the husband isn't doing his part well? How about when he does manipulate and abuse? When he isn't simply loving her? I would ask this, is he responsive to correction? Is this a one-time thing? And grace has come and repentance has seen and you've seen a, a growing away from this? Or is this a continual pattern of manipulation and abuse? If it's a continual pattern, all I can say is here from getting professional help is okay. It's a good thing. Gospel Life Church is all in favor of that. And there is no shame in seeking it. It's not a waste of time or a waste of money. And as far as money goes, Gospel Life Church has a fund called the Owen Fund to help for this reason, to build healthy families. So maybe you have insurance that pays for some and you need help with the rest. Let us know. We'll be happy to help. And maybe you don't have insurance and you need help with all of it. Come, let us know. We're happy to help. And husbands, if your wife says, I think maybe we should see a marriage counselor, don't be a rube and think you're better than that, right? Show some humility. Don't get all prideful and think you can figure this out on your own. There's nothing wrong with getting help, right? People call me all the time. I'm an electrician. They say, I need help. And I'm happy to offer it, right? Don't think you don't, you can figure this out on your own. We men, especially men, need to drop the idea that we're good enough and that we can just figure this out. We'll work it out. If it were all going well, why would she be looking for help, right? Don't be so prideful that you can't go see a counselor. Now, a word to all your single people out there. You're probably tuned out by now maybe, thinking this has absolutely nothing to do with me. And here are a few words of advice and encouragement. First, if it's up to you, get married. (laughs) If it's up to you, right? And I'm not joking. We need some more GLC weddings here. Marriage can be such a tool for growth in the Christian life. Now, I'll warn you, it's not easy, obviously, but it is worth it. Marriage is hard. Like I said, I've been married 20 long, hard, wonderful years, right? Um, Second, don't think this doesn't apply to you because you're not married, especially the men. I told my high school men's Bible study last fall that the job of men is to provide and protect for the women in our lives, both spiritually and physically. Now, I would add, as is appropriate to the relationship. I have three women in my life, that this is my primary responsibility. Jessica, Madeline, and Greta, right? You single men, you have women in your life, and someday you may have a woman in your life, and your job now and your job then will be to provide and protect both physically and spiritually as is appropriate to the relationship. It could be a sister, it could be a girlfriend, just a friend, but it's your job to provide and protect both physically and spiritually, as is appropriate to the relationship. Third, for singles, 
Don't forget what Paul says in verse 32 and that entire section in Ezekiel. That refers to Christ and the church. You're still a part of this great union of Christ and the church. There is a union here that's deeper than the picture we see. We see the picture of marriage, of husband and wife, but the reality is Christ and the church. The reality is always more real than the picture. It's not the other way around. We don't see the picture of Christ and the church and the reality of marriage. The reality is Christ and the church and the picture is marriage. Last, a word for all of us as we move to the table. Like I said, marriage is a hard thing and the gospel is better. More than anything, marriage has the ability to show us how selfish we are, how quick-tempered we are, how prideful we are, how we long for control over others. It can show us how ugly we can be, especially when we take two sinners and combine them into one super sinner. (laughs) It can be so nasty. And anyone who has been married for more than about a week knows this to be true. And the best thing about all the sinful parts is the phrase we go back to, that he gave himself up for us. So, in Christ and in the good news of his gospel, all that nasty, sinful stuff in our marriages is forgiven. In Christ, we have our pride and selfishness wiped away at the cross. And more than that, we have the pride and selfishness of our spouse wiped away at the cross. Marriage is a long game, and we want it to be good, right? I don't know anyone who's married who says, I hope my marriage is really poor. We want it to be good. If Christ isn't going to hold the sinfulness of my spouse against them, what right do I have to hold it against them? He had given himself up for both of us. And every week we have a picture of that here at the table, right? Remember in Revelation what this is called, where this is going, communion? It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're here today visiting, you're not sure about communion or faith, this we ask you to participate by observing, asking questions, watching. If you're here today as a believer, now's the time we're going to come and uh, take this meal together. So why don't you come?